Hello and welcome to the Hustle and Bustle podcast. My name is Nicole Bennett and I'm an urban and regional planner and I'm the host of this podcast. Each episode, I will bring conversations with city shapers and thinkers, leaders in the field of urban planning and city building. I'm located here on the beautiful Gold Coast in Australia, a host city for the Summer Olympics and Paralympics in 2032. The next 10 years is being described as the golden decade for our city and our region. The conversations on this podcast will help us understand the opportunities and challenges ahead of us. So please take a minute from your hustle and a bustle kind of day and let's have a great conversation. And welcome to episode four of the podcast. I've loved hearing all the feedback from the first three episodes. So it's really encouraging me to keep recording them and bringing you some great guests. And that's exactly what I intend for this episode. Um, I'm very pleased to be joined by my guest today, who is someone I truly admire. She is humble yet brilliant. She's friendly, warm and personable. She is highly regarded and an award-winning architect and urban designer and has recently crossed into the expert field of strategic design advice. She is the immediate past Gold Coast City architect where her portfolio spanned citywide planning policy and implementation to design and construction input on things like the Commonwealth Games venues, the new Hotter Art Gallery, Light Rail and so much more. Of course, I'm talking about the wonderful Leah Lang. Welcome to the podcast, Leah. It's so lovely to have you. Thanks, Nicole. I'm very happy to be one of your first guests. <laughs> yeah. How are you surviving lockdown at the moment? Look, we are definitely much luckier than the southern states, but three days into homeschooling and that's about enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, so we're, we're connecting remotely today. It's not like... Uh, my first episode where I actually got to sit down with Paul Burton and, and speak to him face to face, even though we're not too far away from each other, we're having to do this uh, over the internet. So learning all of the the new tools and apps and things to, to make that happen. But before we begin, I wanted to congratulate you on the news that you've been announced as the new Queensland government architect. That's huge, Leah. You no doubt have huge shoes to fill with the outgoing Malcolm Middleton, but um I'm so pleased that you've you've been successful in that role. Thanks very much. Yes, I was. Um, I, I guess after finishing up at the city of Gold Coast, I just realised that policy and city shaping on that level was something that I really loved to do. And I was aware Malcolm was looking at retirement. So when the job came up, I yeah, I sort of still had to gather my thoughts and and, and see whether that was something that I thought I could do. Um, it, yes, it was a very interesting process, quite, you know, a lot of steps, as you would imagine, for a, an executive yeah. level at state. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, I, look, I enjoyed it. And I, if it wasn't my time, it wasn't. But, at, you know, through the panel discussions and, and the interview process, it turns out that I was the selected candidate on the day. So I, I'm super excited. I don't start until mid-September. Um, and you're completely right. I have some big shoes to fill from the first Queensland Government architect, Michael Kenniger, through to Philip Folland and then to Mal Malcolm Middleton, um, who are extraordinary advocates um, for good built environment outcomes. And I hope I can definitely fill those shoes. I have no doubt you will. Um, so today I thought we would take the opportunity to talk about good design. Um, it seems to me that every single development, every infrastructure project claims to have good design. And often that seems to be used as this justification for funding or approval. Yet what I've seen is 
you know, some of the outcomes on the ground are not necessarily the best fit for their local areas and seemingly to me don't seem to be designed all that well. I think unfortunately maybe good design has become a bit of a throwaway line, um, but yet it's just so incredibly important. So I thought let's bring in a design expert to unpack what that means. How does that sound? Um, yes. <laughs> really good actually. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, look, I completely agree. I think um, similar to sort of the word sustainability a decade ago was bandied around and everyone kind of liked to just throw it onto their project saying that that's what they were doing without really understanding what it was. Um, design now seems to be that kind of catch cry, um, which, which is disappointing because I think it is important that we understand what it is moving forward. So from my point of view, design is more of a thought process to solve significantly complex problems with people at its heart. Um, it's not so much a thing. So when we talk about good design, we should be considering the complex and iterative thought process that it involves. It's deeply understanding the problem and delving into, through research, to look tr at truly every aspect. Um, yeah, so right. really any problem can have design. You know, we look at industrial designers who design products. It could be digital design, um, fashion, or even service design. So good design is really just getting completely in-depthly involved into understanding the context, your user group, and the problem. And it's, a, it's very difficult when we teach it at uni. It's about spinning many, many plates at once. And it can be quite uncomfortable because not a lot of people like sitting in that unknown so many variable spaces, but you have to keep working all of these things, keep considering them. And as you do, you start to filter through priorities. And that ends up starting to make you more confident and more defined in where you need to be going as an outcome. Um, so that's, I guess that's how we would tackle those sort of complex and wicked problems through a design process. And then you start turning it into which through architecture I'll focus on, obviously, because that's my field, is a built form response. Um, and if we look back through history, um, I guess it's, you know, even the Truvius in the first century was, it was firmitus, utilitus and venutus, which is basically yeah. structural integrity, function and delight. Yeah. And that is architecture. If you can get it, obviously it needs to work and be structurally sound and, and hold and shelter people then it needs to function. It needs to be exactly of its purpose to, to just fit people like a glove for whatever, whether it's a civic use, a private use, as small as a little cabin right up to a Supreme Court. And then it should be delightful. It, people shy away from that, that component of beauty, whereas really that's, that's that quality of life. That's almost that X factor that you want in a space that creates memories um, and allows us to really be ourselves. Wow. I've never heard anyone put it as eloquently. That is just, that's good design. So it's a process. That, that's what you would focus on. It's, it's not necessarily, well, the outcome is incredibly important, but it's the process that you go through to derive that outcome. Yes. And that's exactly what I would hope to bring through this job is when people talk about design, it, it is whether it's, say, the Olympics. How do we talk about our region? in this really beautiful but the human-focused context that we just consider it. You constantly keep playing it, working it, almost like a piece of clay until you get to that end point. But it's 
it's not easy. It's not something you can just jam into, you know, a pre-made mould. You have to make it so specific. And that's about really making sure you've got the right stakeholders at the table and you keep being open, open and, and communicative. It is a collaborative process for sure. It should have, you know, planners, engineers, the user groups, but people have to be open to that discussion. And then it just gets guided and guided, like I said, until you're almost you know, there's a crazy picture that sort of has this, um, the design process is like almost this explosion of squiggles and then eventually it <laughs> sort of iterates itself out to a linear line. It's not a linear process, but the end component of it should be more streamlined and easier. It's also a lot cheaper to play with these complexities up early on because yeah. the later you leave all of these issues to discuss, the far further down the track you are and that starts to be significantly problematic with costs. People have invested in a certain outcome that's now not suitable. Um, so that's also the process of design is, is do that heavy lifting and the thinking and the what ifs and the challenges up front. Yeah. And then hopefully most people through the journey are fairly, fairly happy, you know, through negotiation to, to that end point. Okay. So in terms of judging good design and determining whether something is designed well, you know, it's often, I think, sort of thrown around that it's, that design is this very subjective thing. You know, do you think it's subjective? Um, look, if I, I, I would say no, because obviously, you know, after six years of architectural education, two years of internship to be registered, we're pretty, we've got a pretty complex knowledge base to do what we do. And even out of the last parts of just explaining architecture, if you talked about structure and function, there's a huge amount of knowledge that comes into that, whether it's national construction codes, you know, basic structural integrity formulas, all of these things, you know, DDA requirements. There's a huge amount of factual knowledge that we have. Mm. When it comes to the beauty, yes, I, I do agree that is subjective, as anyone would say, you know, what someone sees as, as extraordinarily beautiful is not necessarily what someone else would agree to. But even fundamentally, there are things about like the golden ratio, like proportions and scale, about light and shade, colour, all of these things and material balance, that mm. once you have that background knowledge, you are more adept at putting those, I guess, compositions together. So I, I think you're still in the realm that it is well thought through, well done, and most people would find it attractive or mm -hmm. aesthetically pleasing. When you get onto the nuances, I do understand that, yeah, some people prefer modernism than postmodernism or you yeah. know, we're definitely all good. And I like that because in a way that's the science and art of architecture. Art should be a little bit provocative. It should have a point of, you know, discussion and contention or otherwise we'd be living in a bunch of beige, you know, boxes. So <laughs> <laughs> Yes, which is certainly not the Gold Coast. No. Um, so why is good design important for our cities and, and, and our places and, and, you know, why is it an important thing? Um, again, because I think if people understood the complexity and thought process that goes behind something and how well it can be made for them, there's a lot more respect for that. I think there's a lot more, um, I don't know, like it's almost, sometimes I describe, it's kind of like if you, you had your wedding dress and it's just this beautifully bespoke custom made dress. You could go and buy one off the rack, but when it's, it's right for you, you just know it. So I yeah. think people will always remember a space that they've been into that just moved them or 
it could be even now that we've been at home a lot, it could be just a space in your home that you just might be leaning against a windowsill with just that right amount of morning light, a bit of a breeze while you have your cup of tea, and you just think, wow, like it's the yeah. right proportion for me, it's comfortable. When you imagine that, like if you were in a palliative care ward in a hospital or if you were, you know, stressed trying to learn something new at a university, there's all the space actually can enhance your experience. It can comfort mm. you. Um, sometimes they call it the genius loci, which is almost the spirit of place or placeness. So it's got a, a more of a depth of why you're there, bringing the context, like we say with subtropical design, sort of that inside outside. We talk sometimes now about indigenous design, where we're bringing country and understanding of place Absolutely. into architecture. It definitely gives it so much more meaning and. You know, as silly as now we're all over QR codes, but I almost wanted to provide QR codes on all new spaces where people could actually read the research and the intent behind the design because I think when they totally. understand the rigour, people yeah. would be really interested in it. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Okay, so I just want to go back to the idea of, of good design and that it's this sort of process, and you said that it, it's not linear, you know, it's not kind of a step-by-step thing that can be easily quantified to begin with so does that mean that to get a good design it's an expensive process or that when you come up with a good design it's going to be expensive to build is there is there a real monetary factor here no so look i really don't think there there is Um, there's no proof that there is i know people often look you know architects do only design about five percent of homes in australia which is disappointing in itself often they tend to be the more high end that's just on the nature of i guess culturally who think that they want customized architectural homes but you and i both know architects that are playing in the other sphere and have managed to do very affordable housing um it is again it's about the brief being correct and the time being allocated correctly for the complexity of the project yeah as far as building materials and anything else no it should not be there is no difference in anything that an architect does that is a well-designed product than someone doing something really bog standard or quite inappropriate okay there is modular there is on mass so obviously with project homes they're buying you know gamuts of stuff so they can get really good supply deals Architects do tend to do stuff on a, on a much sort of more bespoke or, or individual nature, which gives you less buying power. But yeah. when we've seen architects play in those spheres, they do very, very well to, to solve those problems and start modulising forms to, to get that, that cost down. Um, but it's also come through as we've been working with other people about the benefits of potentially resilient based design. So you might have a house that's a little bit more money, but it can be, after a flood, it can be completely washed out below and you get back on track far better. And because of the clever way it's designed, your insurance goes down. So yeah. there's a lot of benefits of, again, just this thought process of constantly thinking. It's not just the now. It's, you know, homage to the past, what's now, but also what's in the future. And can it be adaptable to allow you to age in place, to allow you to withstand climate change? So there's all these benefits that are well thought through, well designed building or product or space can give you yeah that's fascinating it's like spending a bit more money and effort up front will save in the long run it'll not only save sort of 
heating and cooling costs. It, it'll save, you know, public health matters and, and so many other kind of factors. It's, it, you know, and, and even livability and all of those kind of factors that we need within a, within our towns and in our cities, you know, design and good design up front can create sustainable places. Definitely. And it is hard. It's hard to sell that to clients or developers or sometimes even governments. Um, yeah. Because it, whilst I said, like, I don't think materiality-wise it's, it's in, a, in this, you know, far greater cost, but sometimes just that time it takes to think and document and do it properly, yeah. it, it doesn't get that quick turnaround. We're very instant in this society at the moment. Everything has to be done and everything's based on the lowest price, initial yeah. price. Whereas if we can start to value what, you know, buildings are around for 70 to 100 years. Yeah. That's a really big impact we're making into the environment or into the neighbourhood that we build in. And I don't think we have stopped to take that as seriously as we should. Okay. So should good design be a mandatory requirement? This is a bit provocative. Or, or just when sort of projects are pushing the boundaries, you know, should should we engage architects more often, you mentioned that architects are only involved in 5% of residential projects in Australia. That, that's so low in my mind. You know, should, should architects be involved more? And, you know, and I'm making a leap there that architects equal good design, but, you know, going back to that good design, is that a mandatory requirement? Um, yes, it is. We've just been discussing this a little bit recently, I guess, when we look at, say, a performance-based planning scheme in Queensland, which you know, it's hard to define in of itself, but generally you can give parameters and a framework for good design where you would hope the author, and look, it doesn't have to be an architect. I, I definitely agree for, for complex buildings, you know, in New South Wales, it's three stories and above. You need to have an architect involved, a registered architect of that state. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't forsake that, you know, the smaller stuff can be done by other people, um, you know, there are there are good building designers, and obviously this is across all gamuts as well, landscape architects, urban designers as well. Um, it is competency, and I guess you could prove that in multiple ways. When we try to sort of mandate good design through regulation, it can get quite difficult. Um, mm. It's funny, you and I found that even, trying to put... Um, benchmarks or filters for what may be the, the bare minimum we could expect. Yeah. Sometimes that actually puts restrictions on people sort of experimenting or innovation, which would be the worst thing we could do. Yeah. But once I sat through local government and saw, you know, almost 600 development applications a year, some of the stuff, I don't think people understand some of the poor quality of stuff that's, that gets proposed to be built in cities at all scales from, you know, residential dwellings right through to high rises. So you need some parameters to sieve that stuff out and say that's not appropriate. Yeah. Even though you also have the people running this subjective argument of, oh, that's just your personal opinion. I'm like, well, no, it's not actually. It's professional judgment. Mm. But also then encouraging people to fly to say what is the next building typology? What is, you know, the next hotter or you know, the next amazing sustainable sort of co-housing typology that we haven't seen yet. So it's a really difficult balance. I know in New South Wales they're trying to sort of, they had SEP, which SEP 65, which seemed to work quite well in most people's minds, um, incentivising architectural competitions, which have, again, pros and cons. Sort of architects can get quite sort of tired of competitions because it's a lot of design and intellectual property that goes into early stages that they don't get paid for. Yeah. Um, 
but it seemed to come up with quite good things. Now they're trying to retract that back again and say, well, maybe we need to actually just trust that, let the designers do what they can do. But as I've found, the designer's not always at the top of the food chain. If, you know, if it is a, a planner or a quantity surveyor or the developer, the architect's given a task and, and totally. they're just sort of told to sit in their office and do that task and they're not really then being able to work at their best capacity for the best outcome. That has been so thought-provoking and so interesting. Um, I, that's all we have time for, but I have just got so much out of that. So thank you so much, Leah. That's all right. Thanks for having me. Yes, we could have a wine and probably go on for another three hours. That's about good design and what we'd like to do. Absolutely, absolutely. If only we weren't in lockdown. But um, hopefully all that will finish. And best of luck with this new role, um, the Queensland Government Architect. I am so thrilled for you and I can't wait to see what you do in that role. Thank you very much, Nicole. Thanks for having me. That's all right. And thank you for tuning into the Hustle and Bustle podcast this week. We really appreciate all your support. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. It helps others find out about the episodes and helps us get people like Leah in future episodes. And you can also follow along on Instagram, hustle underscore bustle underscore podcast. So that's all from this episode. Thanks again for listening. Catch you next time. Bye for now.